From the EPR Creations Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by EPR Creations, by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, by Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and by my newest advertising partner, Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage. As always, information's in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast with Doc Staples. Good afternoon and welcome, everybody. This would be Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Doc Staples. And let's go ahead and get down to business. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not talking too much about this Wake Forest game anymore. Uh, looking through it, there's there's not much more to learn beyond what we uh, covered in the in the hot takes. But I am going to do a little bit, just a short mailbag to catch up on some things. I uh, have to admit, I spent more time than I care to admit working towards the video on throwing mechanics today. Hopefully I have that out by Friday or so at uh, some point. But uh, yeah, I'll have at least put on put in some work on this. <laughs> Gotta love it. Lots of things that take longer than you think, and um, I'm I'm not used to doing uh, doing on camera stuff as uh, as much as I used to be. So uh, so having to get back on that horse. Anyway, hopefully that is worth it for everybody. But uh, in the interim, I'm going to go ahead and field a few questions that have come in and uh, and comments. The first one is actually the one I really want to spend a lot of time on because I got this question earlier today, actually, and I saw it and I was like, oh man. Yeah, I, I gotta I gotta do some stuff on this in in a mailbag. So this question is from Jez, and uh, he uh, he says this is more of an overarching question. What has surprised you about this team eight games into the season, the good and the bad? All right, well, <laughs> yeah, I, I there's there's been a few things. Um, it's not a ton. But there's definitely been a few things that have surprised me on the season. So, so let's try to start uh, start up top. And I would say the first one is really just the overall play of the offensive line. And some of that is because we really have not seen a healthy Robert Scott at all this year. And I thought we'd see really a rotation with Robert Scott playing at least half the time at tackle you know, sort of rotating with Bless Harris and Bless Harris maybe rotating on the other side or maybe Robert Scott on the right tackle side and Byers at guard. There were, there were a lot of different things that I thought would happen there with the flexibility of having Scott available. And with him out, uh, I think that's that's impacted things. But all in all, I, I thought the offensive line as a whole this season would be, I thought they'd be better overall than they have been. Uh but more specifically, I thought they'd be a good bit better as a run blocking unit than they have been. Uh, pass blocking wise, I think they've been pretty close to what I expected. But as a run blocking unit, I think this this group has not has not really hit anywhere close to what I thought they'd be at this point in the season. Uh, and and they've struggled more against quickness and against quicker players than what I thought they would. 
that that's been that's been a factor. I thought they'd be able to uh I essentially let's let's back up a little bit. Going down the list, I thought Roddick was going to be a little bit of an upgrade perhaps over um Dylan Gibbons. And, and I mean Gibbons was a was a really good player as a college player, but was athletically limited. And on my initial evaluation of Roddick, I thought he was a little bit quicker than he is. Uh, he's been he's been more limited athletically than I thought he would be this season. He's I think been maybe a little bit of a I think he's been a downgrade uh, with respect to to Gibbons when Gibbons was healthy. Now Gibbons played a good bit of last year on one leg essentially. And Roddick has been an upgrade over one-legged Gibbons, but I I thought they'd get just a little bit more consistency out of that left guard spot than they have. And then, of course, Jeremiah Byers at right tackle. I really thought coming into the year he'd be lining up more at guard and that he'd really be a mauler in there with Scott and Harris at the tackles, but Scott has not been around to play tackle. Really, I, I don't... I we're eight weeks, eight weeks in or eight games in, I should say about 10 weeks in and he's not healthy yet. And I'll just say, I've got some skepticism about how, how healthy he's going to be before the 2024 season. So, you know, I, I, I think that's a, that's, that's something that has definitely had an impact. Um, but yeah, I think as a whole, the offensive line, particularly the interior of the line, has had more trouble with uh, allowing penetration to quicker players than I thought they would. As a pass-blocking unit, they've been maybe a little better than I thought they'd be, at least coming out of camp. But part of that is that I think the defensive line for Florida State gave them trouble in camp because it's a good pass-rushing defensive line. But yeah, I, I think... That's one of the first things that I would I would highlight as something that's a little different than I expected. And that ties into another thing that I think has surprised me this season as a whole. And that is really Florida State's difficulty getting the running game started overall. Uh, you know, you look at the at the season so far and, you know, 257 carries for 1342 through eight games, averaging 5.22 yards per carry. Now that's including sack yardage. And that's really, I mean, that's not far from what they wound up with last year. End of the year, 5.47 yards per carry. And Benson last year was 6.43 yards per carry on the season. This year he's 6.40. So, I mean, almost identical numbers from Benson now that he's had a few long runs to kind of offset uh, some of the early, early year stuff. But yeah, I think just overall the, you know, I had concerns about the the absence of Treshawn Ward, who, you know, averaged 6.61 yards per carry, 628 yards last year as the sort of 1A back last year. And, you know, I think if anything, there's been more reason. I think they've missed him a little bit more than I expected so far this year. Now, I think there are signs that some of the other guys m- might just now start starting to to be at a point where they're they're ready to to more fully f- uh, fill those shoes. But I do think 
it's not been a big surprise, but I think it has been a mild surprise to this point that the sort of one one B back has that a one B back has not really fully stepped up to replace uh Treshawn Ward in some of those big big game situations and as a between the tackles back where where he really was was a crucial uh contributor when when Benson was not was not clicking. Uh so that's something that maybe is a a moderate surprise. I mean I thought they would miss Ward and I had some real concern about that. But I thought they'd ultimately be able to resolve that a little faster than they have. Uh, I think that that is a that is a factor. Um, I think another minor surprise is, I mean, I, I, I might have been the first person going back to when they when they first signed these guys and looking at the roster who said, "Well, you know, I think this team is going to be a very." 12 personnel heavy team. They're going to run a ton of two tights. And, you know, when people talked about replacing Micah Pittman and what are they going to do in the slot and all that? I mean, I explicitly said, look, I think the guy they're replacing Pittman with is Jaheim Bell. I mean, I think he basically is going to be the slot receiver and they're just going to base in 12 personnel. And look, I was, I was right about that, but I, I was right by a lot more than I expected to be. So I'm not sure how right I was. I think they've, they've based in 12 personnel more than I expected. Uh, you know, you look at the, the four, the, the five leading receivers that they have on this team are Coleman, Wilson, Bell, Benson, Morlock, and Toa Feely. So other interesting thing is those are the only guys who've got double digit catches on the season. And I thought they would spread the ball around a little bit more than they have to date. You know, Coleman, 38 receptions, Wilson, 25 and six games. Jaheim Bell, 26. Trey Benson, 16. Kyle Morlock, 13. Lawrence Tolafili, 17. And then Darion Williamson is next at six. That's, you know, and Marquiston Douglas at six. Hakeem Williams at four. Destin Hill at five, Winston Wright before he left the team with four. So, you know, this is, this is, there's been just a little bit less of a share the, share the ball, um, spread the ball kind of approach from the offense than I expected. They've, they've sort of stuck with Coleman, Wilson, Bell, and Morlock on the field more than I expected as, you know, the core four when, when things are, you know, when, before garbage time. And and that's been a little bit of a surprise. I, I thought we'd see a little bit more rotation there. And frankly, I thought we'd see more overall efficiency in the passing game uh, beyond sort of the big play aspect of things. And, you know, that that goes both to there's been more drops than I expected. So looking this up now, there have been... Well, by by one source, there've been 15 drops so far this season, and I think they're undercounting that. I mean, that's that's only two for Johnny Wilson, and I would have counted at least five for him based on how I chart drops. So, and I, so I think that overall is a conservative number, but I, I think I expected just a little bit more overall efficiency in terms of of throwing and catching the football this season. Uh, you know, Travis's numbers are absolutely incredible. 
And especially the thing that, that I think he deserves the most credit for is the guy does not turn the ball over. He really takes care of the football. And that's one of the reasons that Florida State has so much success is Jordan Travis is a guy who, who really takes care of the football and manages the football game really well. And, you know, I know a lot of people think that game manager is a bit of an insult for a quarterback, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm praising Jordan Travis when I say that he's become a, an outstanding game manager in terms of protecting the football, making sure that his offense is in the right situations, all of those things. And, you know, that, that kind of goes to where he is right now. He's, he's put up unbelievable numbers this season. That said, I think he's been less accurate in terms of locating the football and in terms of general efficiency on just kind of the pitch and catch stuff than I expected. And I can tell you right now, he's not happy with some of the throws that he's missed this year. I mean, he's a competitor. And if you look at some of the throws he's missed, I know for a fact, there's no way that guy is satisfied with how he's thrown the football so far this year. He's made a bunch of big time throws. And then, you know, just in terms of overall accuracy, in terms of, you know, in terms of hitting spots, let's just put it that way. Uh, in terms of, of overall precision, he's been, he's been okay. He's been pretty good. I mean, his adjusted completion percentage is 72.8. That's, that's good, but it's not, it's not quite where I think he could be and where I thought he might be coming into the season. And just for perspective, that, that, that figure of 72.8 adjusted completion percentage puts Travis right between Jackson Dart and Kyle McCord, you know, in that, in that range, in that ballpark, uh, just ahead of Joe Milton, uh, you know, behind a good bit behind Cade Klubnick behind, uh, Luke Altmeyer from Illinois, Drew Aller from Penn State. So, you know, just maybe I shouldn't have expected, you know, uh, uh, more than that, because, I mean, it's almost dead on the same number that he was last year. I mean, he was 72.5% adjusted completion percentage last year. So, you know, I probably should have expected basically what we're seeing, but watching how Travis has just developed and blossomed as a, as a quarterback and really as a thrower over the course of his career and continue to get more accurate. I thought he might take another step forward in that respect this year. And, and he really hasn't in, in that area. And again, I mean, the, the, the reality is he may have just come closer to hitting, you know, a ceiling there because he, he is actually still one of the best in the country in these areas. So, you know, it's, it's uh, almost unfair to, to talk about, but I do think again, some of the, some of the fundamental stuff with his, with his release and, and throwing motion right now is the sort of thing that if that did get fixed, he, he actually would have a, a much better shot once he gets to the next level, because he, he's already close as a thrower. And if he just gets that last bit and, and really gets the, uh, gets to where he's getting extension, down the target line with more consistency than the big time throws that he does make when he does get that kind of extension and all of that will become a little bit more of the routine throw as well. So yeah, I, I do think that's something else that I would call a little surprising because I, again, I, and maybe it's unreasonable because he's improved so much every year, 
that I kind of expected that one more step forward. And I think he's basically, uh, in a lot of those respects, a very similar player to what he was last year, which is a really, really good player, by the way. I mean, you're putting, he's putting up almost Heisman caliber numbers, despite not playing the number of snaps that some of the Heisman caliber, the other Heisman caliber players are playing because Florida state's been blowing teams out. So yeah, I mean, that's a, that's another minor thing Uh, related to that though. So related to those first two things uh, or first three things that I've talked about, I think Florida state has been worse overall on first down on offense than I expected them to be this season. They've, they've been in long yardage in second and, and long third and long a lot more than I thought they'd be this season so far. It hasn't mattered that much, which, you know, that goes to show a lot, but they've, they've managed to survive anyway which says a lot about their about what they have offensively and about the gear that they can tap into that most teams don't and about Jordan Travis as a quality quarterback. I mean, I've long said that third and long is really what differentiates your top level quarterbacks from everybody else. And, you know, when you have one third and long is not a terrifying prospect, but uh, you know, it's one of those things where when you have Jameis Winston or, or a Drake may, or even a Jordan Travis third and nine, you feel like, you know, you got, even odds of, of getting the first down and you're not really just sitting there with gritted teeth and white knuckles going, please don't turn it over. Please don't turn it over. But you know, Florida state fans know full well what it can look like when you don't have one of those quarterbacks back there. And third and nine just basically means you're either going to punt or, you know, it's going to be some sort something bad is about to happen. And Florida state's just not there. I mean, part of it is, is having elite wide receivers. I mean, Keon and, and Johnny make life a lot easier for any quarterback. And part of it is Jordan Travis. I mean, when you've got a quarterback that just, it's very rare to see him turn the football over, then, you know, that's the luxury where you feel like you can do more on third down. Uh, so, so yeah, that, I think just the overall lack of success, the the lower success rate than expected on first down has been something that offensively I I'm a little bit surprised by, and I thought it would, I thought they'd get on track in that area faster than they, than they have. And I think one of the other reasons for that is that I think the, the tight end blocking has not been as good as I expected. So that's another, it's another surprise. And so far we're 18 minutes in and I haven't gotten to any of the positives, but you know, that's a, that's been a a little bit of a surprise. Uh, just in terms of of what I expected coming into the year, I thought they'd be better on first down. Thought the tight ends would block better. I thought the overall run uh, running game would be stronger. I thought the run, the run blocking of the offensive line would be more consistent and would allow less penetration, and you know a whole host of other things. So, uh, and I thought that they would play a little more eleven and other types of personnel rather than just being in twelve as often as they have been, uh, but. All in all, those are those are kind of the negative, um, the negatives that I that I uh, that have surprised me so far this year. I suppose one other one is I think the defense has been a little bit worse against the run than I thought they'd be. Uh, I think Lovett has stood out as a you know wreck shop guy less this year than he did when he played last year. Uh, like against LSU, for example, and the the year prior. But 
that's really nitpicking because they've rotated so many guys on defense and love it. You know, for example, is averaging 25 plays a game. I mean, he's, he's not in there that often. I mean, you think about that and he's played more against a couple of the, a uh, couple of the higher level teams. I mean, he played more against Clemson. Uh, let's look at, look at the overall snaps here on the season. So, you know, he played, 20 against LSU, which, you know, was when he was still working back a little bit, 12 against Southern Miss, 39 against Boston College, 41 against Clemson, and then no more than 26 the rest of the way. I mean, he played 20 last week against Wake, 19 against Syracuse. So, you know, some of that right now defensively is just that they've been rotating so many guys and the approach has been uh, really just to let, let things just kind of go their course and crockpot teams a little bit as the offense ultimately is going to, is going to score enough points and the defense just needs to make sure they don't do anything stupid that they've, they've had some, they've had some real success there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one thing that surprised me though, is the defense I thought would be just a little bit more dominant on the interior overall, uh, and just a little bit better against the run than they have been. But boy, have they been good against the pass. <laughs> so now we're going to move into some of the the positive surprises, the good surprises so far this season. And maybe the first one is, and it's becoming more and more clear, the, the Florida State pass defense is, is not just good, it's elite. Or at least has been elite so far this year. And, and I don't think I, I'm afraid. It's, I think we should legitimately start to consider that this is an, an elite pass defense. And that doesn't mean it can't, you know, that they don't face another elite pass offense that, you know, they won't have trouble. But look, they, they played the number one offense in the country already. And that's not the number one offense in the country is not, a, not USC. It's not Oregon. It's not Michigan. It's not Washington. It's LSU scoring 47.4 points a game. Next best is USC at 45.9, and they haven't played really teams with all that much of a pulse defensively. But LSU has. And when Florida State played LSU, and by the way, LSU in terms of pass offense is third highest per game output in terms of yardage and is the highest passer rating in the country of any team that actually throws the football. Air Force actually has the highest passer rating, but that the highest that the best the most efficient passing attack in the country this season has been LSU ahead of Washington ahead of Oregon ahead of Michigan ahead of Oklahoma USC all of those teams LSU in terms of overall efficiency on the passing side of the offense and overall offense is number 1 and by a good bit and Florida State shut LSU down in that second half in particular, but they held LSU to 17 points. They're starters in non-garbage time. I mean, you look at the, the leading receiver in the country right now is Malik Neighbors from LSU. He's putting up just absolutely silly numbers. 122.6 yards a game, nine touchdowns. And then you look at his actual numbers against Florida State, 
Six catches for 50, for 67 yards, no touchdowns. They shut, they, they held him down. <laughs> I mean, Brian Thomas Jr. is 15th in the country in passing and uh, in, in receiving yards per game, and he's got 11 touchdowns. Thomas, against Florida State, had seven catches and 142 yards, but the bulk of that was on one play in garbage time against the threes. They shut him down too. I thought this Florida State defense would, would take a step forward this season. But I did not expect them to be really this good through eight games in terms of pass defense. Especially with Hakeem Dent having gone out and some of the struggles that Kevin Knowles ha- has had in that field safety position, particularly in run support. You know, they, they've not been healthy at some of those key spots all season. And they've still been among the nation's best in pass defense. It's the only team in the country that didn't give up a passing touchdown in, in, in the month of, uh, of October. And they've, and it's not just because they played teams that can't throw the football. Now that's been a factor. I mean, none of the four teams that they played in September, in October, really good throwing the football. I mean, Virginia tech, Syracuse, Duke and wake forest, Syracuse can't throw at all. Virginia Tech, limited. Wake Forest, even more limited. And then Duke, you had Leonard on one one leg and then a backup that can't throw or couldn't throw. And no playmakers. So definitely a factor. But when this when this back end has been has been healthy, when they've had everybody together, so when Akeem Dent has been has been ready to roll, they've been really, really good against the pass. Now Clemson got him a little bit more than I thought they would. And, you know, Clemson, I think had a good plan there and, and Florida state was slow to adjust on some things, but still really no big plays in that game. You look down the list and they've been really, really solid on the back end. Uh, and at this point they put up elite numbers. You might say, okay, well, you know, if they play another, another elite passing attack, then maybe they'll, they're, they'll, they'll, they'll get got. But like I said, you can't forget that they already played the nation's best and handled it. So that that's surprising to me is how good they've been on the back end defensively. That, that's been a, a, a core part of, of the success. And that's not just by the way, the five defensive backs were six, you know, once they get uh, AZ out there in a, in a dime roll, but also the, the linebackers have been really good. And the pass rush has been good. Pa- Patrick Payton, I think has taken a step forward, taken what I kind of expected forward. Braden Fisk is better than I thought he'd be. Uh, he's been more disruptive than what I thought he'd be when Florida State signed him. Uh, Fentrell Cypress has been what I thought he'd be. I, I, I was lower on him than most uh, when he when he decided to hit the portal. Uh, you know, you can go back to my episodes on that. I don't think he's been the lockdown type guy that Florida State hoped they'd get when they when they signed him uh, out of the portal. But he's been a solid player, and he's been he's been good. He's been what they needed at minimum at, as that second corner. The guy who's been really dynamic and and has made a lot of money this year is Renardo Green. Renardo Green has played himself into a, a decent draft pick uh, so far this season. If you go back and you watch that matchup that he had against Malik Neighbors. You'll you'll see that you know neighbors is supposed to be a you know top two round guy, 
Well, if he is, then then and then uh, then Renardo Green belongs, you know, in similar discussion. But uh, but yeah, Fisk has been better at defensive tackle than I thought he'd be. He's played. He hasn't played outside as much as I thought he would. That's another surprise. Um, but yeah, that's been another another real positive has been uh, the overall play of, of Braden Fisk. Uh, let's see other surprises so far this season. Um, I think Kaziah Holmes has been a, a nice breath of fresh air. When whenever he's touched it, he's he's looked really uh, encouraging. And maybe the biggest surprise, aside from the biggest positive surprise, aside from the overall play of the back end and the improvement in pass defense, has been the emergence of Joshua Farmer. Farmer has, Farmer has played. Farmer has basically looked better than what I thought Fabian Lovett would look like at defensive tackle this year, because Farmer has has brought that power and some of the disruption with more burst. So Farmer has looked like a, you know, first half of the NFL draft type defensive tackle so far this season. And, you know, I didn't think he'd be quite that this year. He's been better than I thought he'd be. And you add Daryl Jackson to this group <laughs> come playoff, and all of a sudden the, the whole complexion of this defense changes because then that guy starts to wreck shop and then they get better against the run. And I think that's that's one of the reasons that I thought they'd be better against the run overall is I thought Daryl Jackson, at least midsummer or so, I was thinking I was still factoring on him uh being involved. By the time I did my season previews, that wasn't the case. But but yeah, I think that's been uh that's been a plus. Um yeah, so I think that pretty much takes care of that that particular question. But that was a really fun one and I thought it deserved some some special uh some special attention. So I'm going to go kind of rapid fire on a couple others. So this one's from James. What did you think of the CFP rankings last night? I did not have the Buckeyes landing at number one, but I suppose they have a couple nice W's. So first part of my answer there is I really don't care. At this stage of the season, rankings, the playoff, you know, the playoff rankings, the committee stuff, all that stuff is just about TV, you know, TV product to get debate going none of it matters at this stage so it you know it just doesn't matter and the more we remember that the better the better off we are on this i mean i think it's perfectly fine to have ohio state there i mean i think their strength of record is probably tops in the country with them having played uh both at notre dame and uh you know, decent win over Wisconsin. It's not a bad Wisconsin team. And then a, uh, a good win over a pretty good Penn state team. So, you know, those are, those are three solid wins that I'd give them credit for two against teams that I'd probably put in the top 20 top, you know, 15 area and uh, yeah, quality, quality opponents. I mean, I don't know that they've done a whole lot more than what Florida state has. I mean, Duke basically took Notre Dame, down to the wire just as much as Ohio state did and Florida state blew Duke out. And, you know, despite the fact that you have a lot of people out there that say, well, if Riley Leonard had played, then Florida state wouldn't have scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. I don't know how that works since Riley Leonard doesn't play defense, but Hey, whatever. Um, and then, 
you know, I think the win against LSU is still undervalued by a lot of folks. And, you know, you kind of hear, I, I saw a couple clips where people were pointing out that the uh, committee basically was, was saying, uh, yeah, Florida state had, you know, maybe the best win or one of the, one of the toughest wins, but you know, it was in the opener and, you know, it's been a while since then. So, you know, whatever, you know, that, that's, always interesting to watch as people go, well, you know, but they've, they seem to have improved a lot since playing Florida state, but so they might beat Florida state now. Well, you know, people said that after last year and those two teams played again and worse things happened to uh, LSU. So, you know, whatever. Um, The thing that, you know, if you're going to talk about consistency or whatever, the thing that's weird is putting Ohio state at number one on the basis of strength of record and, you know, game control combination stuff, you know, basically the metrics, and then putting Florida State at four, because if you apply those same standards, Florida State's clearly two. You know, the next best wins in terms of LSU, it's a pretty good Boston College team, turns out, even though they're not getting credit from anybody, including the uh, the committee. Uh, that's a good Duke team. You know, Clemson at Clemson is is, you know, not a picnic for anybody, even though Clemson is on the on their way to a tougher season. Yeah, it's a it, it's been a and Florida State's the only only team in the country to have beaten uh, what seven what six it's seven teams with with a five hundred or better record. So you know you start to look at that and you go okay well you know if Ohio State's one Florida State should probably be two. If you want to apply the eye test, then Ohio State probably shouldn't be one, and you know then it makes sense to have Florida State maybe a little bit lower. But the way that they mixed it was a little little nonsensy, but it really doesn't matter because all that matters at this point is for Florida state to keep winning. If they win out, it won't matter. They'll be in the probably top two because other teams will lose. You know, one of Ohio state and Michigan is going to lose. If FSU wins out, they'll just move up that spot at minimum. And if, you know, both of them end up dropping a game, then Florida state will move up two spots. If Georgia loses a game, Florida state will move up, you know, another, another spot. You just don't worry about it. As long as you're in that top four, it doesn't matter because you're going to get a chance to prove it on the field. And all that matters in terms of that is continuing to win. So (laughs) I just don't pay that much attention to it. Um, Next thing. uh, Let's see. Rewatching the weight game. Did Norvell and Atkins just decide that this is a pass first team now, or was it the looks that wake presented them? Uh, they actually answered that in the uh, pressers this week. Uh, they they basically said that they knew Wake would commit to, they'd sell out to stop the run, try to make Florida State one-dimensional. So they just figured they'd go ahead and start start taking that one dimension right away and go ahead and uh, and take care of what they knew they'd get up front. So yeah, pretty simple. They knew what Wake would, would give them. Wake gave them what they thought and they took it. So pretty straightforward there. And looking through, I think we've found the bottom of the mailbag for now, so we'll go ahead and wrap there. I'll bring you the preview for the Pittsburgh game on on Friday. Just a uh, little bit of a spoiler alert. I am going to pick Florida State to win that game. Pitt has struggled this year. Got to see them uh, up close and personal uh, in terms of evaluating what they had on the field when they played North Carolina earlier this year. Florida State should be able to win this game, but uh, they are going to have to be physical and take care of business because that pit team will hit you. But uh, we'll go ahead and do a short preview episode release on Friday. Until then, thanks for listening.
If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts and wherever else you listen to podcasts, post and repost episodes on social media, and tell a friend. And if you haven't left a review in a while, do it again. It really does help the visibility of the podcast. Before we go, I'd also like to thank my advertising partners once more. That's EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida, and Justin Galloway of Benchmark Mortgage, serving Florida, Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky. You can also stop by the Unconquered shop at unconqueredpodcast.com where you can buy stickers, pins, magnets, t-shirts, and other swag. And thanks also to all those supporters over at Patreon where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast. I am especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Neil Cook, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Dave Blair, Hector Cartagena, Jack Horton, Jimmy Van, Jonathan Kennedy, Keith Cheney, Lee Caswell, Tyler Kashishke, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. You all are far more generous than I deserve. I'm really grateful. Thanks to you all. This has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. I made this. <laughs>